Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. Pentecost Sunday, uh, although probably not exact on the calendar, marks a year now that we've had services continually. And, uh, and we're blessed to have you here, and I thank you for it. Uh, but Pentecost Sunday, and I want to talk about Pentecost Sunday a little bit, um, but maybe not in the way that you expect it. Um, but Pentecost, um, if you're familiar with it, started in the upper room, or at least that's from a Christian perspective, we'll say started in the upper room. And this is where uh, the disciples were gathered and uh, the Holy Spirit blew in on them and they made a ruckus of a loud noise that attracted a lot of attention. But I wanted to back up because there was a reason they were in the upper room. There was a reason that people were outside and Jerusalem was crowded at that time. And I want to go back to, to where it started, and that's back in Deuteronomy 16. Because there, there is something about the Old Testament um, that foreshadows everything in the New Testament. And so the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. And so I want to dig into that just a minute. And Pentecost, if, if you are a math person, um, or if you remember those horrible geometry classes, um, those kind of things, you recognize the penta, like pentagon, is a five. And so Pentecost marks 50 years, or I'm sorry, 50 days. And it's a period of 50 days, and at the end of, end of that period is the day of Pentecost. And if you back up to the beginning, it is the Feast of Passover, and part of Passover that week is a festival or, or a, an offering of unleavened bread. And the whole purpose behind the offering of unleavened bread on the heels of Passover is to remember the Israelites, to remember the Jewish community as they came out of Egypt, where they didn't have time to prepare their bread and, and make a beautiful loaf, but they were in a hurry, and so the bread didn't rise, and it was this flat bread. And so they... They, they remind themselves of what God has done for them in bringing them out of Egypt in the uh, baking of this unleavened bread. Because you have to remember the Israelites were, were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They had no freedom. And their desire was to go out into the wilderness um, and worship their God, which was not permitted in Egypt. So they were, they were slaves. They, they didn't have the freedom to worship the way they felt like they wanted to. Um, and they were under the oppressive hand of Egypt. And of course, the, the story goes that, that during the Exodus, there's the Passover sacrifice where the, the lamb is slaughtered and the blood is put on the, the post of the door. And this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will, for the Pharaoh and the leadership in Egypt. Because that night, as they have applied the blood to the doorpost, God sends a death angel over Egypt to take the firstborn of every family. And you know, I, I think about that, and I think about if you were an only child, and you were, say, 40, did that 40-year-old also die? He was somebody's child. And I wonder just how extensive and how great that was that God had to make Egypt suffer to break their will to allow the 
Israelites to be free. And not, not just break their will and let them go, but get to the point where they wanted them to go. And essentially pushed them out, paid them to leave in many cases. Said, if you need it, just go. Just take it and go. And you can hear the frustration in the scriptures of, of the Egyptians of like, you've been enough trouble, I'm done with you, just get out. Or at least that's how we would say it today. Probably a few four-letter words sprinkled in there somewhere. And that's where the Israelites left in a hurry. They, they had this window of opportunity where they were being kicked out, if you will. And so that's where they, their provision and what they ate and sustained them is this unleavened bread. And it's also called the bread of affliction because it's uh, intended to remind them of their exodus out of Egypt and how God rescued them and sent them out in a hurry. So let's look at the text here in Deuteronomy 16. I'm going to start in verse number 9. We'll see how good our tech folks are back there. He's usually pretty good. And I'm reading out of the NLT. And this will talk about uh, what's called the Festival of Harvest. In some uh, places it's called the Festival of the Final Harvest. Um, we have come to know it as the Day of Pentecost. So Deuteronomy 16, verse number 9. If you got it, say, I got it. All right. We'll give the rest of y'all just another moment. And we'll start in verse 9. It says, count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut the grain at the time of harvest. And then celebrate the festival of harvest. To honor the Lord your God, bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him. There's a lesson in that. This is the time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship. He will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, and the foreigners, orphans, and widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all these decrees. So I want to stop there in reading that. And back up to verse 11, where it says, This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship. He will choose for his name to be honored. So, Becky, if you'll come. We wanted to um, take a minute this morning and just... Uh, recognize and honor all the hard work that has gone into this house in the last couple weeks. Um, and so we wanted to pause here, and I'm going to let Becky start uh, with this. Um, but we just wanted to honor those people that worked so hard to help us get um, to where we're at today. So it was like a year and a half ago, and as I uh, kind of look around the room, I do see um, a lot of faces that have been with us from the start, not that that was a whole lot long time ago, but um, but a year and a half ago in November, we met with a small group of people and we casted a vision that God had placed in our hearts. And uh, if you were there that night for that vision casting in our garage, would you just raise your hand? So there's still a core group of people that were there that night that, that are still a part of the well, have stuck with us as we have stumbled and made some mistakes and 
made some good decisions and have really honestly just tried to follow the heart of God. And, uh, and in following the heart of God, sometimes you may not make decisions as quickly as you need to because you're waiting to hear from the Father. But he has led us so incredibly well. Uh, so incredibly well that um, that we're so grateful. There were many times we would uh, try to walk through doors, um, and and God was faithful to close those doors when we didn't need to go that direction, and uh, and that is the hand of God on the ministry. And we are completely incapable of doing this without without Him. And we just are so appreciative for His guidance, and that He did close those doors, and He guided and directed us. And you know, that um, I think there's a quick lesson in that. Doesn't mean to not make a step. Take a step. And as you begin to take a step, God will either open the door or he will close the door. And But we have to make a step. So whatever you may be holding back on right now that you feel like you need to do, but you're just waiting for God to open the door, he's probably waiting for you to make a step. He's probably waiting for you. So, um, so anyway, so we had that vision casting, and a small handful of people began to meet together, to pray together, um, and to start talking about what this was going to look like. We began to create what we called a launch team, and, uh, and that launch team became the core of the well. And so um, uh, along that journey, we had to establish, as any good nonprofit does, a board of directors during that process. And, uh, and so all this has been new to us, and, um, and we've worked to establish this house well for, for Christ. Um, and so um, we have one of our board of directors with us today, which is Dan Webb. Um, we're super happy that he's with us. Yeah. Yep. And the reason that we're so, um, and also Katie LaFon, who is our treasurer, she's right over here. And um, the reason I think we think that it's important to do this, it's not because we want to elevate those people, but it is because we want to seat them in a place of honor because we appreciate the fact that they have guided us, that they've um, allowed us to have hard conversations, that we've um, not agreed on everything, not everything has been super simple. They've challenged us, but have helped to steer the ministry in, um, in a healthy direction. So uh, as a house, we're very grateful and thankful. There are a couple of other board members that aren't here because they, um, they're not here. They don't attend here or, or whatever. So um, we're super happy for them. And then uh, that, uh, that launch team um, that we're so grateful for that have stuck by us through meetings after meetings after meetings and a few game nights and a few, you know, things like that, but lots and lots of meetings and conversations. We are so thankful for you. We are incredibly thankful for what you have poured into this ministry and how you have helped to build this house. And uh, so thank you, thank you so very much. As we've traveled through this journey, God um, began to lead us and guide us into establishing our leadership team, which is what we, we call the equipping team. And that equipping team really helps to function as the uh, spiritual backbone of the ministry, which we are incredibly grateful for as well. They are a resource and a support to Wade and I as we try to lead. Uh, they pray for you. They pray for the direction that God is taking this house. And, um, and we're extremely grateful for them. So if you are on the EQ team, will you raise your hand? Ken and Brittany and Daryl and Katie as well. Yeah, you're welcome to clap. Um, so the reason that I just we wanted to take time to do that is, um, is because uh, we don't do this in and of ourselves. 
it takes a group of people. Um, we also won't be such a secret weapon anymore, but those of you that are close to us may know this, but we also have, I call her our champion. And you know, have you ever had that person that just comes out of nowhere and swoops in and begins to pray and pour in and you don't like, you don't even understand. I've never had this experience. This has been a new experience for me because me and God have always walked arm in arm. But it's amazing what he'll allow to come into your life if you'll allow those things to happen. And so uh, Tammy Teeter has been in the background supporting us and loving us, <laughs> encouraging us, uh, telling us not to give up, tell us we're not dreaming big enough, to tell us to ask for more and just really pushing us. And, uh, and even in the beginning when, uh, when all we knew is that we just kept hearing God say and we were just so hungry for more of him. And that's where the whole vision statement birthed out of us because we were just hungry. We were hungry for more of him. We knew there had to be more. And that's why we just go hard after Jesus. And, uh, and so we just love him dear, dearly. And so if everybody would just stand up in this room for just a minute. I would say 90%, maybe 85% of the people in this room slung a hammer, they've moved a chair, they've given funds, they've brought food, they've prayed for us, they've sent encouraging messages, um, they have sown in some way, and that is all of you that are standing here today, and we honor you for that, and we are so incredibly appreciative to you. So we really do, as we labor together, that may, may God build this house. So thank y'all. Amen. So I, I got to transition out of that, huh? <laughs> Didn't have that in my notes. Um, but we are truly thankful for, for all of the, you know, all the effort, all of the, the prayers, all of the support that, that uh, you guys have shown in establishing the well and nurturing it and growing it and being a part of it. And we just, we can't say thank you enough. Um, I want to fast forward to, uh, to Jesus' time and the, the day of Pentecost, but I've got to make a stop first in Exodus chapter 19. Um, and, uh, and not a specific stop there, but, but it's really the, the, the text all from chapter 19 through chapter 24, and, and what happens is God introduces himself again to the Israelites. Um, they have been uh, largely, well, I should say God has been largely absent from them. They have been wrapped up, surrounded uh, by Egypt, and it's in those chapters where God reveals himself to the Israelites. And so in Exodus 24, 17, they get to see an image of what God looks like. And it says, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, this is Mount Sinai, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. And so not only are they, are they led out of the, um, led through the wilderness rather uh, with a cloud and fire at night, now they're seeing God's presence on this mountaintop that Moses goes up to meet. And so this, this glory of the Lord that appears on the mountain is what they call the Shekinah or the Shekinah glory. Um, and that'll be important. I'll touch on that again in a minute. So fast forward to the time of Jesus. 
And we know after the, um, the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples there for 40 days or so before he ascends back to heaven. And he leaves the disciples with a task. He leaves them with some instructions. And he says, go back to Jerusalem. Uh, I got something I want to send you. I need to know where to find you. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. I'll send this, this gift for you. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they wait for the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come. And so let's pick up in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And I'm going to read down. There's quite a bit of scripture here. Um, I'll skip a few, but if you want to follow along, I'll start in verse 2. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, they were devout, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. Now, I want to pause right there because I have not... I guess I've not had that scripture strike me before. So there's the sound of a loud wind, and now they're speaking in all these different languages. And if you read further in the scripture, there, there's 17 different languages that they were speaking in. And the interesting thing is, is that here, there in the upper room, we know where they were, but people on the street came running. What is this commotion? What is this I hear? It had to be such an unusual thing for people to come running. Not just stopping in the street, not just curiosity, but something drawing them to that place. Verse 6, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 7, they were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee. They're all locals. They've not been to, to my country, to my tribe. They've not spoken all these languages before. Who are these people that they can speak so well in my language? And why are they being so loud? Verse 8. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Drop down to verse 12 with me. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. And then Peter stepped forward with 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. I love the boldness of Peter. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. Drop down to verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses to this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. Amen. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Down in verse 38, Peter replied, after being asked what they must do, after the message had pierced their hearts, it says, 
Here is Peter's response. What must you do? Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. These are Jews. These are devout Jews. They have come to Jerusalem to be a part of the festival. These are people who thought they had it together. Now there's some extras in the crowd, all those who live in Jerusalem, it says. But each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your gifts. This promise is to you. It's a promise to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord your God, our God. So we see here that, that God is calling the people who are present, the children, and those far away, everyone who has been called by the Lord. And he's calling with a promise. If you'll repent of your sins, you'll be saved. And when you repent of your sins, he has a gift for you. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's asking us to repent and be forgiven. It's not that hard. It's that simple. And they're promises. God is good on his promises. You can count on that. If you have a promise from God, you can count on it. And it might not come, oh my goodness, it might not come when you expect it or how you expect it. But God is going to make good on his promises. And that same Shekinah glory that rested on the mountain in front of the Israelites is now available for each one of us. It is available for you and for me. The law that was once written in stone on tablets now becomes written on our hearts. And how do I know this? Because the word Shekinah is what they call an English transliteration, which means it's written in English to make it sound like a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word means dwelling or settling. You see, God wants to dwell in your heart. He wants that Holy Spirit to settle in you. And he wants to dwell in you. He wants to, to make you a little temple for him. That's his goal. That's what he did in Acts, is that he took that Shekinah glory that once appeared on the mountain, that once appeared at a distance, and brought it and put it in each one of us. And that's what happens when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. He opened that door and said, I've got a gift for you. Repent, be free. The bondage that you have in sin, the bondage that you have in all those hang-ups and hurts, you can be free of all that. Just repent, seek my face, and you can be free. And then I've, I've got this gift for you that allows you to go it day by day, to live day by day. It's going to help correct your course. When you think you're going to sneak off and nobody's looking, the Holy Spirit's going to go, I'm still looking. I'm right here with you. And that's what God wants to do. And the beautiful thing is that, that through his Holy Spirit, God will guide us into kingdom connections. He will guide us to places where we'll be used to deliver the good news to somebody. I love Daryl this morning. He got so fired up. Daryl's got that evangelistic heart. He, you know, that the one song talks about um, revival in the streets and, and salvation to the nations. And Daryl's like, oh, let's go get it. Let's get it. You know? 
(laughs) And that's great, and that's the gift that God has given him. And that's what stirs in his heart. When the Holy Spirit gets Daryl and and, and they commune together, it stirs Daryl to that. What is God doing for you today? God's desire is to dwell with you, is to let his Shekinah glory rest on you. He wants, his desire is to be in you. And he says, repent and be saved. So I would just ask you this morning, I, I, I don't know where you're at in your walk, whether you have known Jesus all your life, whether you're familiar with him or whether he is often distant on a mountaintop far from you. But I do know that the word says that if you will repent, if you will turn to him, have faith that he can save you, is that he has a promise attached to that. And his promise is that if you'll repent and turn to him. And repent simply means turning. A turning from what the world maybe says is okay to towards God and what he says is okay. Turning away from a a sinful life of separation from God. Anything in your life that separates you from the will of God that comes between you and God is considered sin. It's just that simple. And I'll say, some sins are obvious. Others are a little more subtle. But God's desire is to, as Daryl put it, is to chisel away at those things in your life to perfect you in Christ's image. So if we can, with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I would just ask you to search your heart. If God is knocking on the door of your heart, if the Holy Spirit is beginning to stir and awaken something within you this morning and you know that you need to come to Jesus and you need to repent of a lifestyle of sin and separation from him, I would just ask you, while no one's looking and no one's looking around, no one's moving, if you'll just raise your hand. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.